0: to another episode of Money You Should Ask. I'm your host Bob Wheeler and in this episode we're going to explore, question, examine, converse, dig deep, expose, laugh and cry about the money beliefs, money blocks and life challenges of our next guest. Turn up the volume, listen, learn and laugh. I'd like to thank our sponsor, The Money Nerve, a financial resource that helps you have a healthier relationship with money. Do you feel shame around your past financial decisions? Do you feel alone in your financial struggles? Do you self-sabotage your potential financial successes? Do you keep making the same choices, expecting different results? The Money Nerve has just launched a new online course called The Course to Financial Freedom. To learn more, go to themoneynerve.com forward slash course. The Money Nerve has an offer to all Money You Should Ask listeners for a 25% discount on the course. Use code MYSA, all caps, 25, and start your course to financial freedom now. Well, I feel really honored today. We've got a great guest. Um, Scott Henderson uh, comes to us. He started a company um, called Simpli Finances. Did I get it right? You did. Close. All right. Simpla I got finances. it. I got it. See, it's a, it's not a simple. It's simple, but it's not simple. It should be simpler. <laughs> it should be simpler. He created this to help other people get um, financial literacy. The thing about Scott, he grew up in a broken home. His dad left when he was eight, grew up with a single mom, raising four kids. At one point, they were homeless, living on food stamps, and all of his possessions fit in a single shoebox. And it's sort of a good times to bad times to abundant times kind of story because he gets to rise again. And and I think this is, um, well, we'll jump into this. And I, you know, Scott, thanks for being here. I... I, I I feel like your story is something that a lot of people can resonate with.
1: Yeah, Bob, I'm excited to be here. I'm grateful that you guys invited me on the podcast to share my story. So,
0: yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, one of the things, you know, in your bio and on your website, and people can see this, you know, you were, you're sort of living the good life, right? A superficial, maybe good life, but had the toys and everything. And then it, it took a, took an about face and sort of things went south. And, from this, you say that you had a belief that you wanted to be rich. That if you had more money, um, that that would just make you happy and all your problems would go away. And and probably found out that that's not necessarily true. But I, I, you know, I just so, you know, welcome and please tell us a little bit about how that was to seemingly have it all as a as a as a you know eight year old kid. Life is sort of good, and then overnight, seemingly it, it's. It's not the same.
1: Yeah. So the household I grew up in as a toddler, things were good. I mean, and I didn't obviously understand any problems. If there were problems going on at the time, life just was good. I was happy and I just wanted to go outside and play, right? Um, But from the outside looking in, most people would have thought that we lived a pretty lavish life. We had a lot of possessions. Um, We had a big house that we lived in. My dad owned a share of a houseboat in Lake Powell, he owned an airplane, he like had a whole bunch of toys and he was buying a new truck every year. And wow. everybody in my family that's older than me, you know, they saw that and they're like, "Oh my gosh, he must make so much money." And right. excavation is what he did. Um and so that's kind of the household I was raised in, but about mm-hmm. the time I was 8 everything came crashing down. So my dad, um, you know, it took about a year, but he ultimately left. And when he left, uh, I didn't see him again for a long, long time. Mm-hmm. And what ended up happening is, is we continued to live in the, in the same house. It was a big house with my mom and my four siblings. And my mom was like, I can't afford to make this house payment by myself. And so she's like, I guess I'll just see how long I can stay here in this house without paying the mortgage. And so she just kind of waited to see what would happen. And it went by 18 months before Hmm. the bank came and knocked on our door and said, it's time for you guys to go. And at that time, I was young. I didn't really understand what was going on. But I remember that last night at the house, my mom kind of like sweeping up the garage and then adding you know putting the broom in the van and we just kind of drove away and thinking yeah. like okay we're never going to see this place again and it was sad because that's where I was at the first eight years of my life and so um, it seemed like we had everything and then after like a year all of a sudden we're just like we don't even know where to go and yeah. my mom literally didn't have anywhere to go and so we ended up living at my grandma's house for a little while Um, probably close to a year while she tried to get back on her feet. And um, ultimately, I got a taste from a really young age of what it's like to have a lot and then go really quick to feeling like you have nothing. So it's kind of interesting.
0: Yeah, I would think, um, I mean, I don't know, but I think like there's probably a a much more appreciation for... uh, like seeing that you had it and then you didn't have it versus the other way around. Yeah. Yeah, I, I and think do, so. you, do you remember like did your grandmother make any comments? Do you remember uh like was your mom like, hey it's gonna be all right or was there any discussion or um with the kids or was it just like full steam ahead?
1: Yeah so my mom she's very driven and I think at the time, she didn't really understand what was going on. Like she had to file for bankruptcy. Both my parents did. So my mom really had to learn to, to grow up because this was a big shock to her life. And she wasn't expecting to be in her late 20s, early 30s, filing bankruptcy, starting over. And, and so she was really determined to get us out of it. Yeah, And sort of take that onto herself and say, look, I could just be a victim of my circumstances and just lay down and give up. Or I can sort of say, how can I be better and how can I teach oh. my kids so that they'll have a future that, <laughs> that I don't? Because she's had to live with those consequences her whole life. Yeah. yeah. So and then the conversations, you know, with my grandma, like I'm very grateful that she was willing to let us come in and live with her. Um, but it wasn't easy. Like she would, my grandma would have to take us to school some mornings because my mom was working and she's right. she's a massage therapist. Um, and so it was really hard, but she was determined to, to get us out of that slump.
0: What was the biggest takeaway um, from watching your mom, from going to homeless to starting to rebuild? What was the biggest takeaway for you?
1: So the biggest takeaway for me was... That I didn't realize this till I was probably in my teenage years. Cause it, I mean, as a teenager growing up as, you know, a sing, in a single family household, like I didn't realize what my mom was going through till a little bit later and how hard that must have been. Cause like I said at the beginning, you know, I was eight, I didn't really understand what was going on, but it wasn't until later when I realized, like, what actually happened and how that has affected us. And so I started to really realize in my teenage years that what my mom went through was really difficult. And it's amazing what she's been able to do to get herself and get us out of it and sort of help us get on the right path. So I think the main thing is just you don't have to be a victim of your circumstances. You know, you can decide what you want your life to be like. And she's definitely instilled that desire to do what's right and to be the best you can be. And so mm-hmm. I was very driven as a teenager to be successful because I wanted to prove to the world that, you know, I, I'm going to change this. I'm not going to stay in poverty and like, like I, I'm going to get myself out of it. And so mm-hmm. probably about the age, you know, 14, 15, I realized like, I want to be smart with my money. I want to yeah. work hard. And I mean, even before that, like I got my first job working construction when I was 13. Mm-hmm. And I would, during the summer, every year, I would wake up at 5 a.m. And I'd be in Park City, Utah, building some of those big houses up there the whole summer. And I did that for, for three years. And I just learned to work hard. Yeah, And I don't know if I would have had that that same drive if if things would have continued the way they were and we kept yeah. living a lavish lifestyle, I think I would have just been given everything and yeah. kind of just been spoiled, to be honest.
0: Yeah. And in that place where you said, I'm going to not be a victim of my circumstance, I'm going to go out and be super successful. Was there any kind of like vow um, that you made or any kind of, you know, um, just something that made me like, I'm never gonna let this happen again, or um I'm gonna prove people wrong, or like was there something that was driving that?
1: For sure. I would I would definitely say I was not a normal high school kid.
0: Yeah. Where I mean I was
1: focused on sports and all that kind of stuff, but I could care less about my classes. Like I w- I didn't <laughs> excel in high school. I would rather take time and you know figure out how to personally develop and read like self-help books and read personal finance books. So when I was 16, I read, um, secrets of the millionaire mind by T Harv Eker. Mm -hmm. And that just like totally opened up my mind that like, okay, I have the power to do something with my life and it starts in my mind. And he goes through these different exercises on how to train your mind and so, like at 16, I was just really very driven to like, "I'm going to be rich, you know and and so I would do some of those exercises, and I mean, even to the point when in high school, where most kids would you know be doing whatever high school kids do, I built um, I made a video it was a one minute PSA on financial literacy when I was sixteen and my senior year of high school I entered it into the Utah High School uh Film Festival and I ended up taking second place in wow. the the financial literacy division and that was a $2700 scholarship to the college of my choice and I was like just super interested in that kind of stuff I wasn't ever planning on working in the industry yeah. but it was just a big interest of mine because like I know what it was like to be poor and I was doing everything I could to like be smart with my money and help other
0: people too. Uh, that's awesome. How did you know um, or when did you know that, oh, you know what, I'm going to be okay? Like, when did that first, like, oh, my bank account's actually got some money in it? Or uh, <laughs> like, was there a moment when you went, yeah, I'm actually, it's going to be okay? You know,
1: I've always felt pretty confident in my personal financial situation. Like, Like obviously growing up, there was things I couldn't control. But in in that book that I read when I was 16, he talks about a money management system (laughs) and he used jars as a metaphor. And so when I was 16, I went to Walmart and I bought six jars. And every time I got paid cash, I would divide up my cash into these different jars. Um, And I did that for about two years. And so there wasn't any like big moment where I was like, I'm going to be okay," You know, like I'm going to make it it's been, it's been little incremental steps. Whereas like every time, every single time I got paid, like I'd put 10% towards financial freedom and 10% towards like education. And it's just kind of built since then. So like, you know, my savings account and my retirement and things because I started at a young age, I feel like I'm confident, but there's been plenty of times in my twenties where I'm like, I'm not, like, I'm not there. Like, I can't do this. I'm never going to be successful. And there's just, you know, but you go through, I feel like, phases.
0: So um, say a little bit about more about the jars. Like, I love this. I used envelopes, but uh, same concept. I like jars because you can see everything. But tell us a little bit about what that's about.
1: Yeah. So I really caught on to that system when I was younger and my friends thought I was like crazy, but they're like, oh, that's cool. You know, you can divide up your money into different jars. And so the the main jar was um, the necessities and it was 50 mm-hmm. percent of my income goes to my necessities. So that's <laughs> transportation, housing, food, things that you need in order to live. And then I committed at that point that I would save 10% of every dollar that I made for the rest of my life, or at least until okay. I become retired. And I've pretty much done that. Okay. Um, and then 10% goes towards long-term savings. So that's Great. things like a down payment on a house or some other asset that you can purchase in the near future. Okay. Um, 10% goes towards play. So you got to have balance. I feel like if you're just focused on saving, like you're never going to enjoy your life, right? Right. And so you got to set aside some money to blow and just have fun. And so it's non-guilty spending. And then the last 10% goes towards education. So while I was in school, I would use that money to help pay for tuition. Um, And then now basically I I use it to invest in myself. So I'll, I'll purchase books or courses or things like that. But I plan to continue to invest in my future that way.
0: Okay. And then do you budget any money towards say, uh, towards charity? Sorry, that was the other 10%. Okay. I was just checking. So, I was just checking.
1: Yeah, I realized, I was thinking I had 100%, but that, I only give you 90% of the money. Yep. So the last 10% goes towards tithing. I do tithe.
0: Mm-hmm. And so if you don't mind, because I, I think this stuff is important, why is... um why is tithing and charity important
1: for you? So that's a good question. So the way I look at it is when I'm in the position to give and I actually give, I will receive more. Yeah. So like and I've seen that countless number of times in my life where if I'm just like, oh, I don't make enough money to give, typically I, I have a different mentality and it's it's kind of like a scarcity mentality yeah but when i give i 've kind of come at things from an abundance mentality, and i 'm like, you know what i 'm fortunate, and i 'm blessed enough to be in a position to give to a church to give to other causes that I care about, and I think it's empowering I think it 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 helps you align you know your priorities and and what 's important in life and so yeah, ten percent of what I earn goes towards causes that I care about, and so it's it 's not even like it was ever my money so when yeah. I pay, it's just like, it's no big deal to me.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an, I think it's a very important component. And I would agree that you uh, almost get tenfold of, of, uh, of what you give comes back to you. So, um, and I, and I do think I agree that uh, it is coming from an abundant mindset. I know there have been yeah. a couple of times where money was a little tight and, oh, I know I committed to this giving, but and yeah. you know, but I, it, it's yeah, it's one of those things for me. It's a top priority too. That uh, if I'm 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 committed to giving and 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 helping others because my life has been pretty good. I and I probably mentioned this on other podcasts, but I have a friend who's a comic who doesn't always have a lot of money, yeah. but if she sees a homeless person, if she sees anybody in need, she pulls out a twenty dollar bill. And I'll say, you don't have any money. She goes, I've, my life is better than theirs right now. And I'm in a position to give because I've got to come from a place of gratitude and that's how I'm going to live my life. And that was, it really helped me to just keep reaffirming that yes, coming from a place of gratitude and abundance is just a healthier mindset for me. Yeah. What would you say is your biggest top, uh, what's your biggest financial worry right now?
1: That's a good question. So, me personally, I've never really had a goal to be debt free, or you know, to make a like. In the past, I thought it was to make a lot of money, like that was the goal, and I would be happy. Yeah. But it's changed. I don't think that way anymore. My my biggest worry is is. Uh, how it's shifted for me over the past 10 years is it's not so much about making a lot of money as it is getting to a point in my life where work becomes optional. Right. So like, I want to get to the point where, you know, I have enough investable assets or passive income coming in that covers my basic living expenses and we can enjoy life and not feel like I'm stuck in the rat race. Right. And so for me, it's, it's, will I ever get to that point? And I think I'm still in my 20s. And I think sometimes it's hard to have that like long-term perspective of like, okay, I just got to be patient. Like it's, it's the hardest at the beginning, but it, it will get easier. And, you know, hopefully one day we will get to that point.
0: Yeah. Do you find there's any place where you still uh, financially self-sabotage yourself? There you go. Ah, I know I shouldn't be doing that.
1: Yeah, it's it's kind of funny because I feel like over the past couple of years like I've been married 5 years. I've got a 2-year-old son. Um and we've got another baby on the way in November. So like I'm shifting into this other phase of life. And what I've found is it's definitely not as easy as like the early days when I could just control everything. Right. Uh myself and so like trying to find balance and so what I've what I've found is like we do try hard to to be good budgeters and do all that kind of stuff. But we're really not that great at budgeting. Like Mm -hmm. we're pretty good at tracking what we spend, but we'll go throughout the month and we'll just kind of buy what we need. And at the end of the month, we'll be like, oh man, we spent too much here or we spent too much there. Like we need to really do better next time. And so those are some things I feel like, like we, we really do want to budget, but sometimes we're not the best at it.
0: Yeah. No, I, I understand that. What is, um, how, how do you feel about taking vacation time and do you take, do you take time off?
1: Yeah, I think that's a good question because it's super important to take time off. Like, I feel like going back to that point I made about the play jar. Yeah. If you are only focused on work, 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 and, saving 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 like that can be really constricting not for not only for yourself but in your relationships and nobody really likes to be married to a tightwad you know (laughs) (laughs) and so like i i'm probably classified in that um group but i do try hard to um to set aside not only money but time to do those things that are important so like when we do go on vacation like I go on vacation. Like I'm not trying to be cheap on vacation. My wife's always like, like, why do you want to buy all this stuff on vacation? And it's like, because that's why I work so hard. That's why I save money for these types of things. And so when I do go on vacation, like when I take work off, like I try to tune out completely and just take that time to enjoy it as much as possible and just spend money and not
0: feel guilty about it. So um, I know, so you use the word tightwad. Um, <laughs> Would you consider yourself more tightwad, frugal, cheap, or are they all the same? Um,
1: They're definitely not the same. Mm-hmm. I like to consider myself as a, a frugal person. Like, yeah. like, I don't like to be cheap. I don't really like that word because I'm willing to splurge and spend on things that I value. Yeah. So, like, I actually, the way I like to look at myself is like a valuist. So, like... I'm willing to spend money on things that I value and I'm way willing to, to pay for something that costs me more knowing that it's going to be cheaper in the long run. So like, right. Sometimes my wife too, she'll even be like, Hey, let's just get these new kitchen chairs. They're like $40. And I'm just like, that's great. But like, you know, that's good that they're cheap, but like, will they hold up for as long as we want them to? And are they good? And do, will we like them for a long time? Like, I'd rather spend extra money now knowing that the value they'll provide for the rest of my life is actually more. So that's the way I kind of think about it.
0: And what is something that you really value and you'd be willing to spend a lot of money on? Uh, sleep. Sleep? <laughs> <laughs> a nice bed?
1: <laughs> yes. Yes. Actually, we we spent way too much on a bed. Uh, about two years ago, and it was the best money we 've ever spent so and it wasn 't cheap
0: <laughs> No, that's, that 's and the also,
1: other thing is my health like health. I, I spend I spend a good amount of money on you know gym every month and supplements and vitamins and that kind of stuff too like so but there 's other things in my life where i 'm like I could care less like i don 't care to have a fancy, nice car. Uh, my car has 200,000 miles on it and I just need it to get me from point A to point B. So,
0: yeah,
1: um, so that's kind of why I wouldn't consider myself cheap, but, yeah, you know, what do I, what do I prioritize and where am I going to put my dollars?
0: How often do you and your wife talk about money?
1: Probably every day. <laughs> okay. And <laughs> some, either directly or indirectly, like it gets brought up at some point, mm-hmm. um, and I feel like my wife and I have a pretty good relationship when it comes to to finances. We're not as good as we used to be, but when we first got married, you know we'd meet once once a month and we'd review our spending and we'd talk mm-hmm. about our goals and we would you know talk about the future. We don't do it as much anymore, but what we do that I love is once a year we'll get away around like New year's time and just get on just go on like a weekend vacation and that's really the time that we'll look at like where our goals and our spending and all that kind of stuff. So it's we've kind of taken a step back and we look at it more from a big picture. And, and you know, I try to on a daily basis, I try to not I try to not be the controlling spouse. Mm-hmm. You know, like obviously I'm the one that's interested in personal finance. And, and she kind of came from a background where her parents did very well and they're still together. And she's she comes from a great family. And has never had to worry about needing anything she's always been yeah. provided for. So we do have that different dynamic in our relationship. But I think, it, I think it strengthens us. And, you know, every day we're talking about something to do with, with money. Especially right now, we're buying a house next month. And so mm-hmm. there's a lot of conversations
0: around that. Yeah, that, that can be fun and scary and frustrating all yes. at the same time. yes. That's pretty amazing. So, if your wife were not listening to this podcast, and um, you know she wouldn't know, is there are there places that you spend money that she might not know about?
1: No, I I really don't think there is. And and you know, and we've had this conversation even just a couple of weeks ago. Like, I don't hide anything from her. Like, yeah. because I don't want her to hide anything from me. And so, and she's very open and honest about it. And so like, I can trust her completely that I know, like, I would know if she tried to spend money anywhere yeah. that that's the problem, but she wouldn't, right. you know, if I did try to go spend some money somewhere, like I could totally get away with it. She would never know. Um, but I try not to, to be that way that I think the biggest thing is probably books on Amazon, but I use those, I use gift cards for those. So it doesn't really like, yeah affect our personal finances
0: (laughs) yeah no totally well i think you know i i love that answer and i think um yeah i think it's important that uh people understand that if you're hiding things financially what else are you hiding and and to have a solid relationship uh being able to be transparent being able to bear it all so to speak um it it's it really just says something for the strength of the relationship.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I would I would say we've got a pretty good relationship and I do try to tie her into the finances as much as possible. So like we will still meet regularly and we'll go over Mint and we'll talk about, you know, some of the expenses and we'll categorize it and everything so she's on board. So like if I was spending money somewhere that I wasn't supposed to be, I'd probably probably show up somewhere in
0: Mint. <laughs> if money were no object. Absolutely no object. What would you change about your life?
1: It's a hard question to answer because I feel like it can change. Mm -hmm. But ultimately, if money wasn't an option, it would be spending time with my loved ones, like Mm -hmm. my wife and my son and soon-to-be daughter. Like That's really where my whole focus has gone is how can I be a good dad? How can I provide for these kids? And I feel like even if I had all the money in the world, I would still want to instill in them a desire to work hard to save mm-hmm. their money and to, you know, do the things that I learned as a kid is as, as far as like what it takes to, you know, to follow your dreams and to follow your goals. And it takes hard work. And so if money was was an option, I think the biggest thing, like not a whole lot would change in my life, honestly. Mm-hmm. And. I think I would still drive my same car. Like maybe I'd have a nicer car that was more reliable, you know, but (laughs) like that wouldn't be a huge focus of mine. We'd live in a modest home. We'd eat out once or twice a week. I don't know. And uh, just try to focus on giving. I think going back to that point is if I did have uh, more time and more opportunities to give, I would devote more of my time to that.
0: Yeah. What beliefs do you still have about money that you carried over from childhood and do they serve you or are they sometimes a block?
1: Yeah. So I would say the two biggest things for me are like what I learned when I was younger. So the biggest thing was just that money doesn't grow on trees. Like I thought it did. (laughs) Yeah. And then I learned that it didn't. And so and then the other thing is just my limiting belief that that I am, you know, capable of of providing value and being compensated accordingly, like making good money. And I think sometimes I can limit myself and say, like, oh, I don't want to charge people for my services because, like, I'm not maybe I'm not totally confident in myself, you know, but as a kid, I remember being in Walmart and there was this box of Legos it was like this castle. It was like medieval and they were like the coolest Legos I'd ever seen. And this was about the time my dad left and he had to tell me no. And he's like, no, we're not going to buy those. And I flipped out. I was like, no, like I want them. And, uh, left the Walmart just like kicking and screaming because in the past, like, sure. Yeah. We'll just buy you Legos. I had Legos. And it was like the first time he told me no. And I was like, what? And, uh, and I think at that point, that's when I kind of realized like, wait, money isn't like, it just doesn't grow on trees. Like you have to work for it. And and right. at that point I'm like, okay, well, if I have to work for it, like where, where do I start? <laughs> you know? And so yeah. I started doing things at a young age to like sell Papa Murphy cards, like door to door or like sell candy on the street, like literally yeah. at like a young age. And so today, like, I've focused a lot of my time and attention on being successful and making a lot of money. But then on the flip side, I feel like an internal struggle I have is like, Oh, well maybe I'm not good enough. And should I be make should I be charging enough money? So that's been a, a struggle of mine is like, obviously we want to make more, but you know, you can't limit your beliefs and you got to be confident in in what you do and that you can charge accordingly, whatever profession
0: you're in. Yeah. What legacy do you want to leave for your kids? Your financial legacy.
1: Yeah. So I think it was Warren Buffett that said when he dies, he doesn't want to – maybe it wasn't him, but he doesn't want to leave a cent to his kids or something. That's him. Is that him? Yeah. Um, I told that to my wife and she's like, are you kidding me? That's like crazy. But um, who knows? I probably won't like not leave anything to my kids if i was to pass but i think i think the the message is important that i don't want them to whatever success i obtain in my life i don't want them to lean on me you know and sort of take advantage of that i want to i want to instill in them to sort of carry on the legacy whatever that is so if like if in my life i'm able to obtain some amount of success setting up you know a foundation or like a donor advised fund or that type of stuff that can um, perpetuate after I'm gone, that continues yeah. to still have an impact on the f- friends and family and the organizations that I care about, that even though I'm not here, um, what what's the continuing impact that I can have for the next two or three generations, I think is really important to me. So mm-hmm. I would say most people don't like to think about death, but... Right. I think about it quite a bit because I'm like how how do I want to live my life and what legacy do I want to leave behind? And so trying to maintain that long-term perspective I think is
0: is important. Absolutely. And I I I'm going to uh, ask you this final question. What gift what was the biggest gift you received from your mom in terms of watching her push through all of the adversity that came her way um, and and then surviving and then thriving. Um, what was the biggest gift that you got from all that?
1: I think the biggest thing is just work ethic. I really do think that the, the desire she planted in my heart to like, to work hard has really paid off and I think will continue to pay off. And and I saw that and I learned that from her. And I know that like she she had to do what she had to do and I, you know, she probably wishes she could go back and spend more time with us, but she worked her butt off and she got us out and she owns she's still single but she owns multiple rental properties. She's got a successful business and she's done all of it by herself and so that's been very in my eyes admirable and so it's the work ethic and then the desire that, you know, she's planted in my heart to sort of take that and pass it on to my family and my kids and, you know, how I can help them. So I would say work ethic is is really important.
0: Yeah. That's awesome. Um, so where can people find you on social media to learn more about your story, to learn more about financial literacy?
1: Yeah. So you can find me on simplafinances.com. Um, there I write about financial independence and simplifying your life and just how to live a meaningful life because it's not so much about how much money you make. It's it's what do you do with the money that, that you have. And so you can find me there. You can also connect with me on Instagram. I'm at Simple Finances. And uh, if you want to connect with me on LinkedIn, uh, you can find me Scott T.
0: Henderson on LinkedIn. Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, hopefully we'll get some people coming to you and getting some love around financial literacy. <laughs> so I appreciate that. And I wanted to say to our listeners, don't forget to share the love. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Search for Money You Should Ask, all one word. And you can subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google, Stitcher, or your favorite podcast player. Scott, um, oh, and I have to say, we we um, we're connected through FinCon, Mm-hmm. Um, and which got canceled this year. But I just want to I do a know. shout out to FinCon. <laughs> uh, FinCon's been an amazing organization of people helping other people um, around financial literacy, and there's so many different areas of financial literacy that people are inspired by so a big shout out to fincon um so and that's i know that we got to connect so i appreciate that and uh scott i so appreciate you coming on and sharing your story and um being a little vulnerable (laughs) and um you know i wish you much success with the baby and the house and like all those good things that are to come
1: Yeah, I appreciate it and super glad I got the chance to come on here. And I'm bummed that I won't be able to see you at FinCon this year. We got the message (laughs) that it was canceled, but we'll see you in Austin, Texas
0: next year. So, Absolutely. I'll see you there. Okay. All right. Thanks.